Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I guess what we're doing is, and tell me if I'm wrong, but we're creating a level of expectation. The interesting part is whether the actual experience meets that level of expectation, which our memory then reviews effectively. So Apple's not a safe topic, huh? I'll be over here waiting. When you guys are done, you can tell me. (laughs) Consumers tend to remember very unique experience. And this perhaps is not too surprising. I would guess this is also why people are always chasing the novel product, the novel vacation. So Colin, you may not remember this, but you are obsessed with memory. I am. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So we decided to have a discussion about memory today, and I decided to invite on my colleague. She and I have recently written a paper, which is going to be coming out uh, soon in a peer-reviewed journal. It's about something called the return trip effect, which is related to memory. So we're going to have her on. We're going to talk about that briefly, and we're going to talk about memory in general This will be, I predict, Colin, your favorite episode ever. Excellent. Can I just say, are we there yet? Uh, (laughs) We're getting there. Be patient. So Zoe Chen is an assistant professor at University of Miami School of Business. She's a professor of marketing. Hi, Zoe. Hello. Hi, everyone. Zoe and I and Colin have all worked together in the past doing some consulting work. So we are old hands at this. And we were just sharing some some fond memories of rural Ohio where we've worked before. Together. Yeah, <laughs> which is so much better than going to Miami and laying on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Too much sun problem. It's a memory I hold fondly in Ohio. There you go. Zoe, the paper that you and I worked on together with our colleague Derek Rucker at Northwestern is about something called the return trip effect. Do you want to explain what that is very briefly? And then we'll move on to kind of more general topics. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, thanks for having me. It's been a while. It's been quite a few years. So the return trip effect, it's something that I think it'll resonate with many of us. So it's this idea that usually when you go somewhere and come back, right, the idea is that maybe you guys decided to leave the cold and come down to Miami and then go back home. The trip to the destination oftentimes feels like it takes longer than the trip going back, right? So you can also imagine for me, for example, driving all the way up to Orlando to go to Disney World and then driving back. It just seems that the initial trip going there just feels so much longer. And so the question we're asking is, first of all, let's show this effect and try to figure out what is driving this to happen. So there's been a little bit of work in the past, and much of it, they've said, there's a couple of different ideas. One is that oftentimes when we go somewhere for the first time, the landmarks are more novel, right? So you're driving, for example, maybe you see some buildings, you see some trees, and they're seen as novel. We use those as a time marker almost. The more changes in the scenery, the longer it feels. So on the way back, 
you don't really notice the trees anymore because you've seen it already. So the time feels shorter. So there's been a few kind of different explanations, but the novel one we're proposing is that it's actually driven by this feeling of anticipation, right? Or the "Are we there yet?" effect, where I know Ryan, you have kids. And I can just imagine how this effect will play out in your minivan as you drive somewhere. Maybe you guys are driving to Disney World, and maybe one of your kids says, "Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I can't wait to be there." What we think is happening is that this feeling of anticipation makes the time feel like it's going much, much slower. And so, on the return, right when you go home, you don't have that feeling anymore. Right, you're relaxed. You don't have that feeling, and so the time feels like it just goes by a lot faster. So that's this effect in a nutshell. And I've definitely experienced that. I was only thinking the other day. I was driving. I think it was actually to Miami from Sarasota, which is four hours, and we actually drove across country rather than Alligator Alley. And it did feel a, a hell of a longer going than it did coming back. And at least part of that, our research suggests, is because you're anticipating showing up in Miami and anticipating less being home. So this is clearly a memory-based effect, right? Which is why I wanted Zoe on to, to talk about this. Your memory of the trip is longer in one way than it is in another. And when we assessed this, it was always based on memory. It was always retrospective. So we'd have people experience something or go somewhere, and then we would have them experience coming back or going back. And then we would ask them about it at the end. So it was it was drawing on memory, which of these feels longer, which of these feels shorter. Right, exactly. Right? And I think this speaks to a really nice point, which is that look, our memory for different events, right? Whether it's the duration of a road trip, it's the duration of a flight, or just from anything else, it's influenced by a number of factors that we might not think of, right? So things like emotions, things like feelings. So memory is really very much affected by outside factors that you would not normally think would impact memory. And memory for me, just for the audience, the reason I I love this subject is because, and Ryan and I wrote about this in our book, The Intuitive Customer, which is when you think about it, customer loyalty is a function of memory. And we've talked about in the past the peak end rule from Daniel Kahneman, which talks about the fact that it's the peak emotion that you felt and the end emotion that you felt that helps forms a memory. It would be great to, Zoe, to try to understand what else is happening there because I can see anticipation, I don't know, and I'm making this up now, but sitting here waiting for my Amazon delivery of something or looking forward to going to the shops and buying something or looking forward to going to a show or something like that. So is there other things, therefore, around memory that would be applicable in a customer experience perspective? Right, absolutely. I think what you pointed out is, I think, an interesting point, which is that our memory for an event, it starts even before the event starts. There's some work that shows that if you think about a vacation you've taken, so you go on this vacation, maybe it's a six-day vacation. So before you go, right, you might have, you're, you're very excited, so you have a very positive feeling towards it. And then when you go, because you're having to deal with transportation, all this kind of stuff, it's actually not as great as you were imagining it. But once you come back, what there's some work showing is that, well, your actually memory for the event, it's, it seems to be largely driven by your, your anticipated feelings about the event rather than what actually happened. So I think to your point, a lot of things affect our memory that either kind of happened before the event or even during the customer experience. Speaking a little bit more to this customer experience, so memory is one of the oldest 
literatures. And there's a very a lot of different types of memory. But I think what's most relevant, perhaps, for consumers and businesses alike, are autobiographical memory. Right. So these are the memories we have for events or things that's happened to in our own lives. And some of the things we know based on this literature is that people tend to remember things that are, first of all, emotionally salient. So things that are extremely positive or extremely negative, we tend to re- remember those a bit more. In general, the, I think the trend is that the positive stuff seems to actually stick a little bit longer than the negative. So like maybe we had something, we had a somewhat unpleasant experience, but what happened is that you see that negative feeling tends to fade over time. There still might be some negative feeling, but it's not going to be as strong as some of the positive memories we have. Some other things we know is that consumers tend to remember very unique experience. And this perhaps is not too surprising. I would guess this is also why people are always chasing the novel product, the novel vacation. Another thing we also know is that we tend to remember things that are personally relevant. So it could be maybe a brand that we really identify with, or it could be, for example, I feel like I really identify with Apple. So if I see an Apple ad, I'm probably more likely to remember it than a Microsoft one. No, no. I've always liked you, Zoe. And I now know why. <laughs> At least half of our podcasts, Zoe, just devolve into Colin writing love letters to Apple. And you just fade <laughs> right into it. <laughs> I knew we had Zoe on as a guest for a reason. I don't know if you two set this up beforehand or if it's my bad for not warning you beforehand, Zoe. But uh, <laughs> So Apple's not a safe topic, huh? I'll be over here waiting. When you guys are done, you can tell me. <laughs> as you're talking, Zoe, you reminded me of my teenage years. And let me tell you why. I remember as a teenager, literally like in my when I was like 13 or 14, I'm surprised I can remember back that far, whenever there was a house party, Everybody used to get really excited by the fact that there was a house party. And you used to talk about it for like weeks beforehand, how great the house party was going to be. And then I always remember it it was never as good as I thought it was going to (laughs) be. And maybe that's that bit about anticipation. So it's interesting because I guess what we're doing is, and tell me if I'm wrong, but we're creating a level of expectation. The interesting part is, whether the actual experience meets that level of expectation, which our memory then reviews effectively. So this is what we were expecting. This is what I actually had. Therefore, I'm now disappointed because it didn't meet my thought of what it was going to be or my expectation. It's very interesting you brought this up. Basically, what you're saying is that one or two things could happen, right? On the one hand, it could be that, look, I'm extremely, I'm like super excited for this party. And then I go, if it came close to that level of what you were anticipating, I think we'll probably have a pretty positive memory for it. But to your point, what I think what you're mentioning is this contrast effect, right? This disappointing effect. So if you're going in expecting the worst, it was actually okay. Well, your memory for it is probably rather positive, right? Then if you expected the party to be really amazing and you go, it was just okay. Well, then your memory might be coded as, well, that was kind of disappointing, right? I think that's completely valid. And a very important thing to add on to this is that, Colin, it's great to know that you were invited to house parties at 13. <laughs> I, and I'm sure Ryan, were not. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounded like a shoehorned in brag to me, Colin. I don't think that had anything to do with anything. We get it. You had friends. Ugh. I've got a house party in a few weeks with Apple fans, and mm-hmm. I now know who I'm going to be. It's not a house party, Colin. You're going to the store. (laughs) (laughs) 
They're not your friends. They're employees there. (laughs) I love that Zoe brought up this idea of memories kind of being overwritten when they're in in conflict or, I mean, this is part of a, a larger exploration of memory. So if we have some strong anticipation for something and then we have kind of a neutral experience with it, it's possible for us to, for the, the neutral actual experience to kind of fade away and what we assumed would happen to become the real memory. There's other examples of this. There's something that's known as the sleeper effect. And the idea there is that in processing information, we in some sense have to assume that it's true first and then later tag it with a a false flag. So if you get some information that's that's not true, some part of your brain understands it as true. And then there's this, but it's not true information that's stored along with it. Well, sometimes that it's not true part of memory can fade with time. This is where you like hear some outrageous rumor about a company or about a celebrity or a politician, and you know it's not true. But then over time, the part that knows it's not true fades and it just becomes, you know, I I think I heard that. You start to believe that it's true over time. So it's not that all memory is equally solid. Some parts of it may fade and other parts of it may get stronger over time. So let me ask you this. And by the way, just before I ask this question, let me just remind the listeners that at the end of this, we will be uploading to our website what we call the podcast summary. So the podcast summary will basically give you the key takeaways and recommended action. You can download them in a document. So if you're listening to this as you're traveling or not being able to write notes, then hopefully that's of use to you. So you just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. So Colin, if you want people to remember that, you should make it much more emotional. So can you say that again while crying hysterically? <laughs> I'll have to work on those. Maybe I'll do a positive one and maybe a threatening one. That would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, that, would work. that would work well. Yeah, do that. Huh, that's an interesting proposition we should test. Yeah, it's interesting I went straight to the threatening one rather than anything else. Yeah, that was interesting. (laughs) We need to unpack that one. (laughs) We're going to have a therapist on next episode, and we'll talk more about that. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So the question I was going to ask Zoe and Ryan, actually, one of the things I was thinking about customer experiences again and memory, okay? So you book a hotel and you're going on vacation and you're looking at the hotel and you're looking at all the pictures of the wonderful hotel that you go to. And when you turn up, they've used the fisheye lens and you rather than being a palatial suite is some type of place where you can hardly swing a cat around and the pool is nowhere near as big as you think it is and it's all to do with the way that they've taken the picture and blah 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 i'm gonna let you finish your thought colin but i do want to emphasize that you just use the idiom swing a cat around <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to flag that for further discussion later. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, we're on this track at the moment of Ryan picking me up on all the British idioms that I use. Are you, are you telling me you don't use swing a cat? <laughs> no. You get arrested for that kind of thing here. 
This is why British cats have all got long tails. So, <laughs> anyway. <short> tail. <laughs> so anyway, but the point I'm trying to make is about this looking into this anticipation or expectation. So I'm getting excited. I'm going, wow, look at that pool. Look at that. The room's going to be great. But then I go there and I'm disappointed. The interesting part is, and maybe this comes to that that episodic memory piece that we've spoken about in other podcasts, Ryan, and your fishing net analogy of going, okay, well, overall, my experience, I'm forgetting those bits now. Yeah. Because overall, my experience was much more positive. Although that memory is actually of my disappointment in that going into the room and seeing the pool is in a memory, but it's actually being outweighed by the more positive things that I've seen. I'm trying to pull it down into something more practical of going, how do we manage customers' anticipation, expectation, and what's happening there? I mean, I'll, I'll weigh in briefly, and then I'd, I'd love to hear what Zoe has to say on it. I think that these distinctions between these different types of memory are really important. So a lot of what we've talked about on the podcast is evaluative memory. So that's where the peak end rule comes in. So how do you evaluate the experience as a whole? Then there's this episodic memory part, which is what do you remember specifically? And there are different rules for that type of memory. One of the rules, for example, is primacy and recency effects. And the idea there is that the first information you encounter tends to be remembered well, and the last information you encounter tends to be remembered well. So depending on how we carve up the experience, it could be that the experience starts with the information you're getting on the website. And so you could have this positive information that is very salient, and then you're going to get there and it's a little bit disappointing. But then by the end of your vacation, they've really won you over and you have some really great experiences on your last day. And so it could be that the information that stays with you in your memory is the first things that you encounter and that you learn about the hotel, and then the, the last things that you encounter and remember. And those are the episodes that are, are most strongly stuck in your memory. And that would tie into peak end rule as well with where Kahneman says that endings are more important than the peaks. So endings are important for both episodic and evaluative memory for different reasons. Endings are super important. Just to kind of broaden this up a little bit, and because I think, Colin, what you brought up is something that I actually am very interested in. I'm just going to like step back for two seconds and then talk a little bit about where I think there's actually like a major opportunity for companies that they're not, I don't think, companies or just researchers alike are not really focusing on. So like, I think to your point, right, memory is very much reconstructed. So when you think back, right, to that vacation where the room is really small, the idea is that after you come back, right, you represent that vacation not as I drove there, I flew there, and then after that I did this. There is a sequence of event, right? But overall, it's represented by this gestalt idea of, hey, I went on this kind of pretty fun vacation. So it's a really fuzzy kind of uh, meaningful memory for it. And so what happened is that every time you try to remember, try to remember what happened, obviously there's some kind of minor details that you've encoded. So for example, in your case, it's the fact that the room was really small or that, hey, you know, I remember getting out of the, the airport, I had to take a cab. The cab was very spacious, right? So these are the, some of the minute details. But I think overall, like those details, they tend to fade over time a lot faster than kind of the overall fuzzy representation we have for the memory, right, for the event. And the reason I bring this up is because so far we're talking about how kind of before an event happens 
or during an event happens, what are the things that's going to affect people's subsequent memory for the event, right? So either real-time or pre-real-time. But there's also, what I think is really, really interesting is that after the event has happened, right, after you come back from the vacation, after you watch the movie, your memory could still shift. And this could shift because for a number of different reasons, right? I'm sure you know kind of the misinformation effect where you see a video, right? So someone sees a video of two cars crashing and then, right? So that's already encoded. Like that should be your memory. But afterwards, right? A researcher could ask, hey, did you see the two cars smashing into each other? Or, hey, did you see the two cars just tapping into each other? Right? So you ask people what are the two kind of questions. And then later on, you test people's memory and you ask them, hey, did you see broken glass on the video? Right? There was no broken glass. But people who were given the question, hey, did you see the two cars crashing? They're more likely to also report, hey, I saw the broken glass. And so the point here is that, look, even after an experience happened, a lot of these kind of verbalization or additional information that could be given, for example, by a firm or self-generated by the person themselves could actually further distort your memory. So that talks to the fact, and again, I'm now trying to think about it from a customer experience perspective, when you're asking customer feedback of what that experience was like the wording that you use has to be very careful because you may influence how the customer's perception of memory of that experience was i guess if we look at it from an opportunistic perspective there is the opportunity to make the memory better than it actually was Mm -hmm. exactly Exactly right. And there's actually some work showing just this. They weren't looking at products, but they were asking people to describe other individuals. You're giving some information about other individuals. Of course, like all of us, the other individual has kind of pros and cons, right? They're maybe really friendly or they could be very argumentative. And so what they find is that if you ask the memory holder to say, well, you know, think about this person, right? Write about why you like this person versus, hey, write about the negative qualities of these people. What you find is that later on, those people who wrote the positive, kind of wrote about this individual with a positive frame, they tend to have kind of a more positive memory for the underlying individual. So that I think that goes directly to your point of, we're talking about describing an individual to describing a product. I do think that the way we elicit feedback and we kind of remind people of, certain aspects of the experience they just had could actually be quite influential in terms of influencing and consolidating people's long-term real memory for the product or the experience. So does does that, sorry, you've got me on a whole thought process now. This is what happens when we talk to them about memory. Like we lose all <laughs> control of the discussion. <laughs> you brought up memory and Apple. We're lucky that we're able to talk about anything at all. I'm in seventh heaven here. Yeah, yeah. This is wonderful. <laughs> I, I told you at the beginning, didn't I? I told you this would be your favorite episode. Yeah. Unfortunately, this podcast is going to last for four hours. Give the people what they want, Colin. <laughs> that sort of implies and I have to think about the ethics of this, but that implies that if you were to communicate to the customer after their experience and maybe ask some questions or reinforce positive things from the experience, that you could influence their memory to make it more positive. I think it would be hard not to influence their memory just because of the way that memories work. question is, are you doing it on purpose and are you doing it strategically? 
Good point, Ryan, because clearly most organizations won't be doing this on purpose because they wouldn't have even thought about it. That They will just be sending out some stuff, and, and rightly so. The questionnaire that they ask is more neutral, okay, but it's still asking of their memory of the experience. I wouldn't advise anybody to, what's the word I'm looking for, gain the answers by putting in positive questions. Obviously, a lot of this is going to backfire if people feel like they're being manipulated, like people are sensitive to that. But you can think of of something more mundane, like suppose that my experience with a vacation was really positive and it was positive because of the, I don't know, the activities that they had set up for us to do. But the follow-up questionnaire that I got was about a lot of mundane or neutral things, like how clean was the room or how friendly were the people. And those things were not bad at all, but they weren't what really made me love the vacation. Well, now you forced me to think about all the aspects of the vacation that didn't really contribute to my enjoyment as much. It's entirely possible you've encouraged me to overwrite that memory of the vacation in a way that's less positive to what I actually experienced. And so I could remember it less positively because of that. I think one of the really major questions I ask, and I've been doing some work in this area too, is that as a marketing professor, is the question that, hey, let's help companies generate the most positive evaluation, right? From let's try to get everyone to think the most positive things about us. Or are there contexts where it's actually beneficial to just help consumers remember some details about the actual experience, right? So I guess the question is, is the goal to try to shift people's evaluation, try to shift that a little bit, or is the goal, hey, let's actually, we want our customers to remember certain details. So when they talk about us, they'll kind of remember those details. I ask this because the example you were giving, right, you guys were saying how after an experience, the company might say, hey, how is the service? How is, you know, how is this? I think what that's doing is that it's really kind of forcing people to further dumb down their memory for the experience, right? So if you went to a hotel, if you ask, hey, how is a room? Like, how are the amenities? I mean, I think another way you can ask these is to say, did you enjoy and really list out the amenities that were offered, right? And the goal is not to just, I'm coming from the point of not just to, hey, let's try to skew their evaluation one way or another, because we don't really know how that's going to work. We don't know if Ryan went down the water slide and if he liked it. But what this could do is that it can help people remember certain details about the hotel that would just otherwise kind of go, they would fade away, right? So in the future, if Ryan's friend asked, have you been somewhere where there's a water slide for my family, my kids, by using a minor technique like reminding Ryan about the slides and things like that during the evaluation, that could, I can imagine now the hotel will be in the consideration set when Ryan now recommends it to another friend. So I think there's kind of two different questions and I agree with you guys. I think the ethics of this is, it's interesting to say the least. So personally, I wouldn't change the evaluation or the feedback or whatever else at the end, because you are trying to measure, you're definitely trying to measure something that's sort of more neutral. And I wouldn't be suggesting that people change that. I think prior to that survey going out, there are actions that a company could take to reinforce the memory. And when you're talking about saying, Zoe, the, the specific points, for me, of the memory that you may want to enhance by activity that emails or reminders of, of good times or whatever it may be, then for me, those should be the things that drive value. 
by doing the research, and, and people are aware we do this type of research, to identify what are the aspects of the experience that drive most value for the customers. If you can then enhance those parts, that seems to make a hell of a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. I think one example, I don't know why this is coming to my head, is I don't know how often you guys go to the nail salon. Uh, not often. All the time. <laughs> After I get my nails done, my judgment is going to be, okay, how good does it look? Right. That's going to be kind of based what my overall evaluation is on. This is just an example. I can't help but wonder if they say, hey, how did you enjoy your, your manicure using our triple sanitized tools and kind of organic gels or something? Obviously, before I get the nails done, I know about this, but afterwards I might have forgotten. But at this point, you can remind the customer again, hey, those are additional aspects of the experience. I would think those are actually quite important and to your point, quite valuable. When I'm going in the future, I'm trying to figure out now where do I go get my nails done again, right? So it's, you're giving additional these cues. And I think that actually seems like a really good business practice, right? To reinforce, hey, this is actually our offering. Encouraging positive aspects at the point that memories are encoded. So as you're forming that memory, making sure that information gets in there. Right. I'm conscious of time, and whilst I would like to go on for four hours talking about this subject, and I certainly could do that, I'm conscious of the listener's time. So let's try and pull this together. So what are the practical tips? What are the recommended actions? What should people take away and do based upon this conversation? I think that one of the big things for people to consider is the different types of memory and to think about which types of memory are you trying to influence and how? So is it most important to you that your customers remember their evaluations of the event? I would suggest that's probably important for most firms, but it may be especially important for you. Is it also important that they remember specific parts of that experience? So specific information that they could share with others? There are different strategies for those different types of memory. And so you, you need to know what your memory strategy is. One of the things that we mentioned early on that we didn't talk about in a great deal, but the uniqueness of an experience really drives how memorable it is. Consider the uniqueness of your offering. This is why people remember the first time they do something so well, but not the third or fourth time. Are you doing things to try to make each experience unique for your return customers so that they will continue to remember it and remember it positively? Good things. Zoe, anything you'd like to add? So my feeling about this, and I'm clearly kind of very biased given this is where my research interest lies, is that I think it would be really valuable for firms to actually think a bit more about post-experience, right? This is post-experience communication with the consumer. So right now, much of it seems to be about, hey, you know, uh, do you have any complaints? How well do we do? But given that we know after someone has already encoded an experience, additional information it could be a very innocuous piece of information becomes integrated with that experience that's already happened. And so I think what's really important for firms to start to think about is that this kind of post-consumption communication is actually quite valuable. And kind of think about like, what is your goal, right? What is your goal? What are the things you really want consumers to think about? And I do think that this is a part where in industry, there's a lot of, I think it's a great opportunity to actually try out different strategies 
you guys can play around with different forms of communication. You can try out five different messages to communicate with consumers just to see how overall do they remember things better? Do they have greater brand loyalty as a function of these different communications? So I see that as a major opportunity that I haven't seen too much effort on that front. Good suggestions again. I've got five things. The first four of them are Apple. And what else do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Remember, endings are really important. Plan your endings. And they're really, 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 really important. And again, too many organizations I don't see planning the ending of their experience. There's a whole bit here about sort of this anticipation and too much over-promising and too much anticipation, yeah? And there needs to be a a balance struck. That's my, I go to the party and it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. I would just reinforce what you said, Ryan, about the memory strategy. I think that's a really good point. Not many organizations are thinking about this whole memory part, but thinking about how you can design your experience to reinforce the, a positive memory is really important. And therefore, the, the last point is just to basically plan it, think it through, have the conversations. Keyword for me is make it deliberate, yeah, which means that you have to deliberate over it and think about it. Last thing I'd say is remember that you can download the podcast summary, which will summarize the key takeaways and the actions that we've just talked about. You can get that from beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. Zoe, thank you very much for coming along today. It's been really, really good. If people want to get hold of you, Zoe, how should they do that? People, you guys are welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. My name, again, is Zoe Chen, and I'm at University of Miami. Wonderful. Great. So thanks very much for everyone listening. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.